Well, this morning begins the start of our Advent series, and um, as Stephanie just read, this morning will be all centered around the theme of hope. I heard a pastor once say that the Advent season is really a season where we stand right in the middle of really two realities. The first reality is that Advent means arrival or coming. And as we enter into Advent season, we're reminded that there was already an arrival. There was a coming that has already happened. That being the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And as Christians, we stand right here looking back to what has already happened, but we also, we look forward to what will happen. There was an arrival that already happened in the birth of the Savior, and there is an arrival that is coming that will happen in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we sit, here we stand, here today. Here we are in the midst of this tension. We are a people who are filled with longing and expectation. We look back in remembrance, but we also look forward with longing and expectation. So today, we begin week one of Advent, which is centered around this theme of hope. How many of you guys in your life um, experience just a feeling of anticipating a future that is better than the present? How many of you ever live in that space of you, you, you anticipate a future that is better than the present? I think a lot of us could raise our hands and say we live much of our lives living in that space. Well, and maybe the feelings that come in that space, there's maybe some giddiness, there's some excitement, there's some uncertainty, maybe some anxiety. This plays out in a lot of different forms. For my wife and I, we're, we're just coming off of a, a very chaotic season. The last two years, many of you guys know our situation. We, the last two years, my wife was in nursing school. I was in seminary. We have a very energetic two-year-old, both working full-time jobs, and it was just chaotic. It was just very crazy for about two years. We were just grinding it out, and we both, many days we would just spend, and it was like, we get home from work, the first thing we're doing, we gotta take care of our kid, put him down, and the moment he's down, we're writing the books. We're studying till, till the time we go to bed, every night. And so many of those nights, we'd look at each other, just exhausted, and we'd be like, man, I can't wait for the future. <laughs> I can't wait for a time where both of us don't have to deal with this any longer, to where we can just relax, where we can come home from work, where we can sit down and enjoy a show together, play a game together, just be a family together. And, and we're, we're past that season, and it's wonderful. But we're always thinking about this, this anticipation for a future that is better than a pres our present. We all live so much of our lives in that space. And we know that experience is something that we often call hope, right? And hope is crucial for the human experience, isn't it? Hope is absolutely crucial for the human experience. It is crucial for the cancer patient that there will one day be healing. It is crucial for the men and women at war that one day that there will be end to the fighting and the violence. I don't know about you guys, but 
I can often get weary. Man, sometimes the days are long. The nights are hard. I need the hope that all things will be made right. Because sometimes we, we hope for certain things in this life and, and in that hope there is longing and there is anticipation. And guess what? Sometimes things just don't come through. We are let down. There's certain things in life where we're, we're let down, we're disappointed, we're crushed. And we very apparently live in this reality that things are not the way that they are meant to be. So where is, where is the hope? In any of this? Well, that's what we're going to try to talk about this morning. And this idea of hope, the interesting thing about hope is that oftentimes when it comes to hope, there's waiting involved, isn't it? Waiting is involved in hope. Waiting is an important lesson that, that, that Advent, the season of Advent actually teaches us. As we reflect on the waiting and the arrival of Jesus, think back with me about the waiting that took place before Jesus came. So through the Old Testament, you have prophecies of the coming Messiah, the one to come who was going to come to redeem God's people. And specifically, the prophet Isaiah, as we read this morning, the prophet Isaiah lived and prophesied of Christ 700 years before Christ. That's a long time. 700 years he was prophesying about something that was to come. It's a long time of waiting for something that God told you to prophesy about to others. Well, today I want to, in fact, look at a passage specifically in Isaiah that many of you guys are familiar with. And this passage speaks of the prediction of the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to this earth as the Son of God. But the context of this passage is so incredibly important because it teaches us about hope and it teaches us about waiting. But before we dive into Isaiah, I want us to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, I want to look very briefly at verse, verses 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. be reading out of the ESV version. It says this. This states that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which is Isaiah. And it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. These verses in Matthew echo a prophecy that was long ago told in the book of Isaiah. And the verse that I am alluding to in Isaiah can be found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14 states this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, it is important to understand the context of what is happening in Isaiah's time. We often hear a lot about um, these verses around this time of year, but, but do we actually know what the immediate context of this passage is? Because I want to share that today because I actually think it's going to um, really illuminate this idea of hope and waiting. So after the death of Solomon, I want to just give you a brief context, a little bit of history here. So after the death of Solomon, 
Israel had been split into two kingdoms, into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, okay? And as we are reading Isaiah 7, Judah is being ruled by a very wicked king named King Ahaz, okay? So the Jewish, Jewish kingdoms at this time, they were often at odds with one another um, and, and would often go to war against one another. And so it is the case here in the context of Isaiah 7 through 9 that we'll be looking at this morning. But within the context of these smaller kingdoms, there was a big empire that was called Assyria. Assyria was this large empire at the time that had a very large military power. And the Assyrians were wild. The Assyrians were crazy. Like they were known for being violent and ruthless. So you have these kingdoms, you have Assyria, but not only this, but sometimes these smaller kingdoms would end up allying together and threaten other small kingdoms with conquest. So as we approach chapter 7 in the book of Isaiah, we actually see that Aram and Israel had come together to try to convince Judah into an alliance against mighty Assyria. And King Ahaz of Judah refuses to do so, which ends up leading Israel and Aram threatening to attack King Ahaz of Judah. This led to a lot of fear on the part of King Ahaz. He was afraid for his life, and he was afraid that every male in the household of David would potentially be murdered. Which means, don't miss this, which means that the Davidic throne would be eliminated and destroyed. But God had a plan. God had a plan, though, and the Lord ends up sending the prophet Isaiah with a hope-filled message. This hope-filled message was to assure King Ahaz to calm down, to stop fearing other men. But it was God in whom he should place his trust. Not Assyria, not military might, but God. God has planned and had planned to bring a savior to the world through the line of David. And these two small kings that, that King Ahaz is worried and fearful about, <laughs> these two kings aren't going to stop our mighty God's plan, are they? King Ahaz refused to believe the words of Isaiah, though. <laughs> he was faithless. Now, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament times, prophets would often come to remind leaders of the covenant obligations that God had established and the legal stipulations and traditions of the covenant. And in the Old Testament, particularly in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is where we're going to talk about the Davidic covenant for a second. God made this unconditional covenant where God made this promise to David that the Messiah would come from David's line and that the tribe and the tribe of Judah... And God made this covenant with David who was leading over Israel that one of David's descendants would rule over God's kingdom on this earth for all eternity. And he would come to extend justice and peace among the nations. The incredible part about this covenant in the midst of this story in Isaiah is that despite the faithless rejection from King Ahaz 
And even throughout history, you look at the evil rulers, a part of this line that disobeyed God and weren't faith-filled, and all these things, God kept his promises. He is a covenant-keeping God. We are so thankful for that. And he is covenant, he's a covenant-keeping God, and it's not dependent upon the brokenness of, or the works or the faith of us broken, weak men and women. And it was through this hope-filled message from Isaiah to King Ahaz that we see that someone from the line of David would come to make peace, to come to rule with justice and righteousness and peace forever. And we know that seven centuries later, we would see that God remember the sign that he had given Ahaz and would fulfill that prophecy perfectly. A virgin birth and his name being called Emmanuel. Fulfillment. The people of Israel, they knew that God had they knew that, they, that God had established the, the Davidic covenant and that God had promised them a ruler that would one day reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So there was always this hope and there was always this, this waiting for the one to come and rule and reign with this perfect justice and righteousness. There was always this one waiting on the one to come who, whom God will grant to establish this kingdom and this throne that will be forever and ever. Can you imagine the waiting, though? The longing to see this fulfilled. Oh, to see this fulfilled. In all this talk about waiting, I couldn't help this week but think about the song we often sing around this Advent Christmas time, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This longing for the Messiah to come. Come, Emmanuel. Come, God, with us. Come, establish your rule and reign. Come, establish, bring peace, bring, bring righteousness, bring justice. Establish your throne forever here. You know, it can often be hard to see that the Old Testament is, is much more than just the history of Israel's place in the ancient Near East. But don't miss this. The Old Testament becomes for us a way to see and savor the glory of Jesus Christ in the different types and shadows and promises that predicted his coming. I mean, we could spend all day tracing back through the Old Testament looking at the longing and expectation, this messianic, messianic hope for the Messiah to come. And we could spend all day looking at how God remained faithful in every situation. What is truly amazing about all of this is that messianic hope goes even farther back from the time of Isaiah. And we said that Isaiah, at his time, it was seven centuries later that Christ would come. We can trace that even farther back, this messianic hope, this, this longing, this waiting, this hope for the Messiah to come. I mean, even before the, the Davidic dynasty was founded, the hope existed that God would send a king 
descended from Abraham to bless the nations of the world. Yet, that hope goes back even further. It goes back even further, all the way back to Genesis, in the beginning of our Bibles. It goes back to the Garden of Eden and, and, and to God's judgment concerning the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis three, fourteen through 15. This messianic hope goes all the way back to Genesis. This is amazing. I mean, God's pronouncement that an offspring of the woman will overcome the serpent marks the beginning of what will become messianic hope. That's pretty cool. This is what's so amazing to me about Scripture. Guys, I, I hope you guys are, are reading your Old Testament because this is incredible to me. I mean, it all points us to Jesus. There is this messianic thread going in and out through all of this. We need eyes to see it. The hardest thing about waiting, though, is, is not knowing when it's going to end, right? Hardest part about waiting, man, how long? When is this going to end? Is this going to come to fruition? Is this going to stop? Is this going to come together? Waiting brings questions. And waiting brings questions without easy answers. <laughs> How many of you guys are in a season right now of waiting that, man, you just feel like you, you, there's no easy answers to what you're going through? The people, the Israelites in Isaiah's time, 700 years later, waiting and waiting. Yet there was a call in all of this to the Israelites in the time of Isaiah to live by faith. To trust God that he would do exactly as he said he would do. And as we look back through scripture, man, we see all this thread all the way back to Genesis 3, 14 and 15 that, that God was so faithful to fulfill all of those things. It's interesting because God ends up in this story to, with King Ahaz and Isaiah. God actually tells King Ahaz to, to ask him for a sign. <laughs> and Ahaz is like, I, I don't want to test the Lord. But God was literally telling him like, to, to, to truly ask him for a sign in the midst of all of this. He rejected all of that. And despite Ahaz's rejection of the sign, despite his lack of faith, God still ends up giving a messianic sign in chapter 7 of Isaiah. And, and we read that earlier, but it says this in verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In some seminary class notes that I had on this passage, it stated that the promise of the king is then for the one who rules within the context of salvation that Yahweh has established. 
Though it is Ahab's failure to understand that this leads to the promise of Emmanuel, so that even where the Davidic kings fail, Yahweh continues to provide his people with security symbolized in the child. And this would be great hope, as we know that Jesus does, and he did, come to this earth and fulfilled that. You know, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't share this other messianic element that really stuck out to me last night as I was trying to put this together. And so I was looking at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. It talks about, it says this in Isaiah 8, 22. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's so much of our humanity. That's, that's what we are before Christ. I mean, we are destined for hell. We are broken. We are flawed. We are full of darkness within us, and all we can see is darkness. And... But watch what happens in chapter 9. This leads us to chapter 9 where we see that this child that would come, Jesus, would be born to dispel the spiritual darkness of those that believe in him. The light would come to break through the darkness. A child would be born, a son would be given, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of government and peace, there will be no end. This is the beauty of the incarnation. Man will try to look to things in the dark to satisfy them and to fill the mammoth-sized hole that we all have within our souls. But it is only ever Jesus who could dispel this darkness through his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. This is the Christmas story that we celebrate. This is where we can safely anchor our hope in the reality that Jesus did come. We celebrate the fact that he came to us in the incarnation. I mean, what a hope we find in that. As God's son entering into our world the prophecy that was long ago foretold by the prophets it would all be fulfilled in Jesus. You know, this is, what, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. That God himself came down to us on this grand rescue mission to redeem us. Born of a Virgin Mary, he came among us as Emmanuel, God with us. And he came among us as the light in the darkness. And we know that scripture tells us that when we repent of our darkness and believe in Jesus' finished work, we receive eternal life. And the hope, the beauty that we have in this is that there is coming a day when there will be no more tears, no more struggle, no more pain, and King Jesus will rule this earth with justice and righteousness forevermore. Amen. And what's really neat about all of this as well is that as children of God, as followers of Jesus, we can find 
hope confidently in the here and now. We can. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul is kind of giving a benediction of sorts. It's kind of this prayer that Paul has for his readers, and it's Paul's hope for his church, as it says in verse 13, that, that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? In hope. Now, did you notice that it says, may the God of hope in the beginning, but then it also says, I want you to abound in hope. So here's my point. God is both the source of hope and our supplier of hope. He is the source and the supplier of hope. And so in, man, my prayer for all of us as, as Jesus followers, that, that whatever you are going through right now in this world, that you would abound in hope. Knowing that God is both the source of your hope and the supplier of it. That by hearing this this morning, my, my prayer is that you have been even just reawakened to the hope of the incarnation. That you can, can confidently anchor your hope in a God who is working in your waiting. Who is faithful to fulfill his promises despite our mess and our brokenness. I want us to sit this morning with this reminder as we are wrapping up this morning. I want us to sit with this reminder that I read from an article from a man named Josh Wester that talks about finding hope in the incarnation. I want us to really dial in as I conclude my message this morning on this because I think this is really powerful in light of this this hope that the incarnation brings. So this is what Josh says. He says this. We all experience days when the darkness seems way too strong. And hope, it feels very far away. Anybody else feel that even maybe right now? The incarnation, it, it reminds us that, that light, it has pierced through the darkness. And it has become our living hope. That there is an infinite amount of hope bound up in the incarnation. Hear me out. No matter how desperate the circumstance that you are going through or deep the darkness, nothing is more powerful than the truth that in Jesus, God came for us. Jesus, my friends, he took on flesh and suffered a brutal death on the cross so that our suffering might come to an end. And even now, he is still Emmanuel. He is with us in every moment of our pain. As we long for deliverance, we remember Jesus' coming. Though this world is full of darkness, Jesus is the true light who has come into this world. And though we are tempted to despair, we remember that Jesus is our blessed hope. 
And though we struggle in this life, we eagerly await the fulfillment of his promise that he surely is coming soon, as it tells us in Revelation 22. Even when life is most peaceful, there is never any shortage of evidence to remind us of how fallen and broken things are. But guys, reading through the word of God and reading through the gospels each year around Advent time, and I encourage you to do this, it reminds us that Jesus literally stepped into our brokenness. And I'm not sure that there's any better hope than that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you stepped into our brokenness, that you are the light that pierced through the darkness, that even in the waiting, God, we know that you are a God of, that is so faithful and is true to your word and your promises and that even in the waiting, we can look back throughout history and see that still there was, there was light coming and the light did come. Lord, bring great encouragement this morning to those that are struggling with hope. Meet with them. Remind them, Lord, that you are with them. You are Emmanuel. That you are, you are a great high priest, Jesus. You, you know, you can sympathize with our weaknesses. You can sympathize with the temptation that, that we experience and you're so full of mercy, so full of grace. Lord, may the God of hope fill us with great joy. Lord, may we be people that abound in hope. Lord, I pray that this Advent season, that we would look to your word. We would look at it with fresh eyes, even see this messianic thread through the Old Testament that, that, that we read and that, Lord, that our eyes would be reawakened to the beauty of the coming of Jesus as we live in this reality of the first and second advent of celebrating the coming of Jesus, but as we look toward him coming back one day. Lord, we can't wait for your return. Help us to live faithful, though, in the now in the already but not yet. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship our Lord.